Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, an audio program for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And happy Easter. I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. He is risen, Father. He's truly risen. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Father, um, uh, I'm going to ask you a question that we discussed, just a quick minutia, and you may not know, um, but if you do, great. The Alleluia, does that, when does that <laughs> go away in terms of, you know, the dismissal and so on? Is that at the end of the Easter octave, or is uh, that at right, the end of... Right, So this, this uh, on the second Sunday after Easter, Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, Father uh, in Masses should still give the, the Masses ended, or go in peace, Alleluia, Alleluia. Okay. Um, I might just use the old dismissal there, but yes, you should still use the double hallelujah at the end of Mass, and then again on Pentecost Sunday. Okay, so during, from um, Divine Mercy Sunday, the second Sunday of Easter, until Pentecost, obviously we sing it as normal before the Gospel, but it's not used at the end of Mass then. Right. Okay, okay. So, did you have a good Easter, Father? I had a wonderful Easter uh, during Holy Week from Palm Sunday through Holy Saturday uh, inclusive. I had almost 19 hours of confession. Wow. Yeah, uh, and uh, hardly a dull moment. And uh, um, so really happy about that. With, and then uh, Easter itself a little quiet because 90% of my parishioners go away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, still wonderful celebration, good masses, people entering the church. Um, and then even uh, after Easter Mass, after my Easter duties were done, I got to even spend some time with Mom. Nice. How about the Bergwalds? We, uh, same thing, uh, Holy Week and Easter. We, a few years ago, we started a tradition of taking um, our, our young children, um, they are now ages eight down to one, to the vigil, um, and then having a resurrection party afterwards, which means Rice Krispie treats, ice cream, chips and dip, etc., and watching uh, Easter or Christian... Christianity-related movie that's obviously age-appropriate and being up to, like, midnight or later. So they love it. And then eating up and eating uh, homemade karma rolls, chocolate, candy, chocolate, candy, etc., etc., etc. Because if Easter is about anything, it's about having time with family. Am I right? I mean, that's the Christian faith in a nutshell. Amen, brother. So we really have tried to, and definitely, I, I, I already recognized areas for growth and improvement, really trying to make it, though, um, you know, our own family traditions for Easter, where it's, you know, the, 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 the real meaning and significance is, is definitely present. Um, again, always areas for growth, but that's life, I guess, right? Amen. Amen. Got to keep going. Got to keep changing. Yep. So, um, so we're obviously we're celebrating the uh, the the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ with Easter. He is risen. He is truly risen. He is risen indeed. Um, and Father and I thought that that that'd be a good topic to focus on for this week's podcast. We're in the midst of the octave. If you've gotten to if you've ever been to Mass during the octave of Easter, the the uh, the week after Easter, inclusive from Easter Sunday to the second Sunday, we sing the Gloria. Um, it's a every day this week is a solemnity. Father, I don't know if we, I don't think we talked about this, but one of the interesting things to me um, is always when, uh, when the Annunciation, March 25th, falls during Holy Week or Easter Week, it gets pushed back. So this mm-hmm. year, the Annunciation got, is, was transferred from March 25th till April 8th, the first uh, weekday after the Easter octave. Correct, correct. 
um, just what, and that's obviously that's that's a, a great solemnity, a great feast, but that just highlights how how important. Um, the importance with which the church understands uh, and celebrates both Holy Week and Easter Week as well. And uh, well, I was even thinking uh, it's going to be six, or pardon me, seven straight daily masses with a Gloria. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Not a common occurrence. Not a common. Not not at all. So so yeah. we're celebrating, and again, why why this image celebration? Because we're celebrating the resurrection. Just something I today, Father, I had seen. Um, uh, and uh, there's a Catholic writer and speaker named Mark Shea, who we've had in our diocese here before. And, uh, and Mark had linked to something that somebody had said, um, uh, a writer or a commenter at his blog had, had, had passed along this thing. Somebody had said to this person's mom, somebody said to the Catholic, but I can see where the resurrection would be a nice idea. And this <laughs> woman's response was, well, it's only nice if it's true. So, <laughs> you know, we... <laughs> Which, of course, I think probably for both you and I, Father, the thing I think of there is St. Paul's, one of his more well-known passages, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. Yes, yes, very. First uh, Corinthians fifteen fourteen. Yeah. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And that's, one of my uh, professors in the seminary would say, if Christ uh, didn't rise from the dead, I think I should like, it, like to worship Thor. <laughs> I just watched the Avengers last night, actually. Anyway. I don't think he meant that, Thor. <laughs> yeah, I, this is, you know, Father, you and I were talking about this just before we went on the air, um, uh, before we started recording. You, uh, this goes to the heart of what it means to be Christian. The, the truth of Jesus Christ, who is God, who died, really died, was buried, and rose from the dead. It's not about, well, I'll let you. I, I'm not going to steal your thunder. What, what isn't it about? <laughs> well, you know, uh, the question is, you know, could we have, uh, so the, this quote from this, this gal you mentioned, you know, it's a nice idea. Does that mean we could have Christianity, you know, with the resurrection, or, or pardon me, without the resurrection, or Christianity where the resurrection isn't a, a real thing, a true event, an actual thing that happened? You know, could we just have a resurrection where it's a spiritual thing, or maybe it's a metaphor, or an embellishment, right? Um, you know, say that God really liked, you know, what the resurrection means is God just really liked Jesus. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we had talked about uh, a catechism verse, um, it's from the beginning of the section on the resurrection, paragraph 638, where it says, the resurrection of Jesus is the crowning truth of our faith in Christ. So the crowning truth. You know, I mean, it says there's no higher truth about our faith in Christ than the resurrection. And it, and it can, well, I, I don't, I'm going to pick it up there. It's a faith believed and lived as the central truth by the first Christian community, handed on as fundamental by tradition, established by the documents in the New Testament, and preached in as, as an essential part of the Paschal mystery along with the cross. And then there's a quote from uh, the Byzantine liturgy, Christ is risen from the dead, dying he conquered death to the dead, he has given life. So as you, as you emphasized from there, it's the crowning truth, as it says as well, the central truth. This is, as, as, as you had said um, before we start recording, Christianity is about not about merely or centrally about loving others or being good to others. It is about Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Yeah. And uh, I notice how careful the catechism is there in the way it phrases that quote. 
um, to talk about the different ways that it's talked. You know, so the first Christian community, the central truth of them, which we see evidence of, like the Acts of the Apostles or some of the apostolic writings, handed on as fundamental tradition established by the documents of the New Testament. You know, so it, it's locked in there that the Gospels, they all lead towards the passion, death, and culminate in the resurrection. Um, and then preach as an essential part of the Paschal Mystery along with the cross, and which kind of then sums up the whole of Christian theology since then. Right. I, I remember one of my professors in grad school, you know, sort of joked that the, the basic gospel, the, the basic gospel message, the Greek word kerygma, the, the heart of what, what they first proclaimed, the newness of this, he is risen. He is risen, but then the problem. Well, well, who is risen? What do you, what what does risen mean? And then you had to the, sort of unfolding from there, like yeah. like a flower budding forth. Well, they had to explain who he was and what it means to be risen and why that hell happened. But the heart of the initial proclamation of the gospel message was that Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen from the dead. Indeed. Uh, so so we yeah. This is, as, as we've been saying here, it, this is important. Um, it's, it, it goes to the whole thing that, I, you know, Father, I know it's near and dear to your priestly ministry. It's certainly near and dear to my own work with catechesis and evangelization. Being Christian, being a Catholic is not just, as, as Pope Benedict said, not just about believing that certain things are true, but it is above all about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't have a personal relationship with somebody unless they are alive and he is because he rose from the dead. I, I mean, we're, we're probably going to be ad nauseum here, but Jesus Christ <laughs> rose from the dead. <laughs> we'll try to move along, dear listeners. Yes. Um, but, uh, <coughs> yeah, you know, um, and, you know, of course it's the culmination of everything he taught and, and things of that sort. And so we'd certainly, you know, uh, for the early Christians, you get to, um, you, you get to that reality. Um, and, um, uh, so, like, uh, even just looking at the gospel accounts and um, some of the different um, of, um, of the resurrection accounts, they don't understand it at first, and they have to encounter it. And it's only in their relationship with Jesus that the resurrection starts to make sense, and then all the teachings unfold in a bold and confidence-giving way, like we see in the in the Acts of the Apostles, as uh, as they go out. Yeah, and you know, this year in particular, Father, I was really struck the the uh, the the first resurrection readings at the Easter Vigil and, and Easter Sunday, and then the the uh, first days of of the octave. For some somehow, I'm really struck by the the uh, the mourning, the sorrow, the the and the then the disbelief that the apostles were experiencing. I mean, obviously, I didn't experience it, but but somehow this year. Been been more deeply impressed with the reality that Christ really died on the cross, <clears throat> and the apostles. I mean, they they lived with this man for three years, and they believed that he was the Messiah, and now he's dead, and the sorrow that that they felt at that, and then their betrayals and so on, and then to hear the woman, these these women, Mary Magdalene, the other, saying that they've seen him, et cetera, and and just the, the disbelief and and almost mockery uh, that that they that they had in response to that, because they're so, no, he's dead. We, I don't know this this year more than any other. Um, I I was struck by the reality of, of what the apostles may have been, some idea of what they have, but must have been feeling. Um, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, 
and Easter Sunday until the shock. yeah, the shock exactly. So um, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Well, and I think so going back to the end, this this notion again of the primacy of the resurrection, Jesus. It also is that heart of the Christian faith that the faith is not about um, a teaching. Uh, it's about the messenger. It's about Jesus himself. You know, Buddha didn't preach about himself. Yep. He talked about a way of enlightenment. You know, Muhammad didn't preach about himself. He talked about, um, you know, the paths of righteousness. righteousness. Um, and Confucius didn't talk about himself. Confucius talked about, you know, the peace of, uh, of the family and the order of family life. Um, but Jesus talked about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's important to dig into the resurrection, make sure we know that it is a real thing and, and why it is a real thing and how we can be sure, be confident that it is a real historical thing. And I think that's one of the things that struck me from the, the, the catechism article that we had read. This, the faith in the resurrection, it's a faith that they believed and they lived it. I mean, it had real ramifications, implications, repercussions for how they went about the rest of their lives. Um, every everything that we believe is that way. We, we believe that everything we accept as Catholics, as Christians, um, can I ought to impact our life. But that because the resurrection is the crowning truth of our faith in Christ, it, that's particularly true. We should act, live differently than others because of our belief in the resurrection. Um, I, I can't. Maybe I don't know if you can, Father. I can't really right now articulate. How I could probably think about it, as I'm saying that I'm starting to think of some things, and we don't need to get into that. But the point is that it should—that's something maybe to pray on. How does the fact that I believe in the resurrection change how I live and act towards others? That's, that's a great, and that's a great project for I think all the 50 days of Eastern. Um, I've been kind of preaching along those lines with uh, with the octave, and even the whole idea of the octave, and I think the Church even inviting us to do that with the 40 days of Easter. Uh, uh, the 50 days of the Easter season until Pentecost with the eight days of the octave. You know, um, I even asked my students, you know, um, <laughs> you, you, you talked about your family, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the chocolate and the Rice Krispie treats and the chips and the dip and all these sort of wonderful things that maybe you'd fasted from or abstained from during Lent, right? Yep. And I said, you know, we, we prayerfully try to consider what we should abstain from or what we should do for Lent, Right. In a way, we consider, okay, what should I do? Do you ever pray and consider Jesus? How do you want me to celebrate your resurrection? Right, right. Or is it just a Bacchanalian excess <laughs> of uh, jelly beans, which I'm munching on during this podcast, uh, or, you know, other such things that we gave up uh, during Lent? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, the, I mean, to celebrate, but then just as we, we and you and I talked um, uh, before Lent, um, or maybe early in Lent, about discerning what to give up for Lent. Yeah, discern what to, how to celebrate the, the, the resurrection during the Easter season. Right. So, so Father, we, 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 we talked about the, 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 we already alluded to the catechism, and there are three, three primary points that the catechism makes with regard to the resurrection. Um, and, and the first of them is the, the, the fact that the, the, the resurrection is both a historical and also a transcendent event. And, and I want to focus on the first part of that. The resurrection is an historical event. We've been emphasizing it really happened. So I know that you recently gave a, a, a presentation along these lines. Um, so you want to, what, what does it mean to say that the resurrection, how do we know that the resurrection really happened? How do we know that it was a historical event? Right. So I, you know, I think, um, 
the way I went about this was kind of, and, and this borrowed a bit from Mark Shea, and also from the research of N.T. Wright, Bishop uh, N.T. Wright, um, an Anglican uh, scriptural scholar who's just a really wonderful scripture scholar. And uh, he had a 750-page book that I thought about trying to convince into an hour-long class, and then I thought the better of it. Yes. Um, thankfully. Um, anyways, uh, so I think there's, there's kind of three things we could look at that if Jesus, if Jesus didn't rise, if Jesus didn't rise, there's really kind of maybe three options. The first would be that in some way it's a lie, uh, fabricated by his disciples. Uh, the second would be that in some way it's a hallucination, right? Um, and the third one would be that some sort of apparition or something where, where God manipulated reality and everyone else just had a, a confused vision of reality from what God did. So the idea there is that those are the, I mean, those are the the possibilities. There's not really either it really happened or it was a lie or hallucination or um, sort of apparition. An apparition. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like the first two would be kind of human explanations. The third one would be a, a quote unquote spiritual uh, explanation, but still wouldn't be the resurrection. Okay. Yep. So like if we look at the lie, then you know, and some and maybe you're probably familiar with this as well, Doctor Bergwald. But what are some of the problems that come up with the lie argument? You know, um, first of all, it, it, it strips Christianity of any redeeming value. And, and just, Father, just, so to be clear, what we're talking about is the apostles all said, we've seen the risen Christ. So this first way to argue against the resurrection is, well, they were making it up. They were making up a story for whatever reason. They were lying. They didn't really see the risen Christ. So just to be clear to the listener. All right, go ahead. Right. Right. So they, they didn't really see him or in some ways that... Um, uh, yeah, and so like some would say, well, Jesus is really still buried, or maybe he was um, one biblical scholar even saying that Jesus was consumed by dogs, wild right. dogs. Yeah. Right. So all sorts of crazy answers. So yeah, but that they lied and said, no, we saw him, even though they deliberately didn't. So a deliberate lie in that way, and that kind of turns Christianity into an attempt at a power grab. Yep. You know, an attempt to try and use the situation and their story to manipulate others um, to fall under their religious leadership. So it's not necessarily a money grab or anything like that, but uh, a power and influence grab. And now, what's... The problems that we get with that sort of portrayal yep. then are in the actual then uh, testimonies that they themselves leave us, right? We have uh, uh, with how they portray Jesus, how they portray themselves, and uh, some of the facts of the history that they do leave us. So the apostles themselves or, or their direct uh, uh, followers are the ones who gave us the Gospels and other accounts. And first of all, how they portray Jesus, it's not how you would neatly package a portrayal of this man you claim to be God who conquered death. You know, he, he sweats profusely at the thought of his own death, uh, to the point of sweating blood. You know, he prays, Father, if it's possible, let this chalice pass from me. Um, even his own prayers on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, don't seem in that way to portray uh, someone who maybe knew the outcome and the end or, or things like that. They, do, they just don't seem like something you would make up in that way. Right. Um, now, that in and of itself is not maybe a totally conclusive thing, but then we add in, like, you know, then how they uh, portray themselves. So if they're trying to gain power, prestige, influence for themselves, why do they make themselves, their fellow apostles, look like such bumbling idiots? <laughs> right. You know? Uh, if, uh, that's not a way to run a successful political campaign in any era. No. Right. So, um, so you have that. Um, 
And then uh, the other thing would be then just the facts of history. And uh, Pope Francis actually pointed this out in his Wednesday audience this week, but that the first witnesses of the resurrection, the first human witnesses, the first overall witnesses were who, Dr. Bergwald? Women. Nope, angels. Oh, darn. But then you have, of course, the women. And were women reliable witnesses in Jewish or Roman cultures? No, not legally. No, neither were not legally credible witnesses. And so why, why would they begin their story with such an uncredible thing, if they're trying to win influence, unless it was true, true and the true story? Right. Uh, and then, of course, there's another problem about their own commitment. Do you want to talk on that? So uh, the fact that they didn't get power, but they got dead, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, get dead quick scheme. They get, exactly. That's the, that's the thing that I so often stress about this. The apostles insisted to the point of horrific, torturous deaths for themselves that Jesus is truly risen. You know, if, you're, if, you, if this is a yeah, get rich quick scheme or get power quick scheme, it didn't work out so well. <laughs> so, no. You know, for us today, maybe, well, we might believe it because we accept it, da, 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 but we're talking about the, those, those individuals who said, I have seen him. We have seen him. Really? We're going to kill you. We're going to torture you. you. We have, se- I don't care what you, we have seen him. If you're lying, you wouldn't do that. No. Well, it's funny because even, uh, that even gets brought up. Um, by Gamaliel, one of the uh, uh, members of the Sanhedrin and the Acts of the Apostles, when the Christians are still talking up, like, man, we thought they would disperse. We killed their leader, Jesus. We thought they would disperse. Now they're louder, more obtrusive than they ever were. Right. We don't have just one Jesus, like we have 12 Jesus <laughs> on our hands. Right? Um, and so Gamaliel says, look, then what we need to do is just leave it alone. And if it's of human creation, then it will die out. But if it's not, then maybe we need to do something about it. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so let's look at the, the hallucination thing um, next. Or um, and there's maybe a couple different variations variations on this. So the main one would just be that it's you know kind of a wish fulfillment uh, that they all really wanted Jesus to be alive, and so they all happened to see Jesus alive after he was dead. Kind of a, a psycho uh, analysis, psychokinetic power type thing of seeing someone who they wish was there. Right. Um, problem with that is, you know, most people don't have mass hallucination. No. You know, and uh, we have ample evidence of psycho, uh, 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 I don't know what you call it, psychoactive drugs from the 1970s of people taking the same drug and uh, not having the same vision. No. <laughs> we call that LSD, and it's a horrible thing. Um, not to make light of it. Um, but right, so they just, it's, and also, too, like if you wanted, um, Jesus to be there, then how come they didn't believe it when they saw him? Right. So often they see him, they're like, oh, that can't be him, or they don't recognize him. Yeah. So it seems kind of an odd wish fulfillment. Maybe another little, it's not really a hallucination, more of kind of a magic quick trick type thing, uh, that it wasn't really Jesus dying, that there was kind of a great switcheroo yep. um, by someone, so he didn't really die and say, hey, here I am. Now, did he impale his own hands? I don't know. Right. Um, and then uh, the other notion that he was drugged but not actually dead. And so uh, that he was scourged 39 times, carried uh, the heavy wood of the cross, was nailed in his wrists and his feet, uh, and had a spear thrust through his side to his heart, but not dead. Yeah. Just asleep. Right. 
um, and that uh, the best way to recuperate from such uh, uh, grievous blows is to, uh, 9 out of 10 doctors would agree, is to get locked in a tomb uh, with no food or water or little air for three days and then appear fresh as a daisy uh, on the other side. Yeah. So just doesn't seem to add up. Nope. Anything to add on that? Nope. We got about three minutes, Father. So that's yes, the... I'm very aware of that. So the last one would just be the, uh, of an apparition. Uh, where God just sent a Jesus ghost or someone to, um, you know, trying to encourage them that the teachings he taught or is the way to go. Um, now, the thing with that is that it doesn't take into account for the fact, then, that the apostles added a new teaching, which is the resurrection itself. Right. And so it just seems to, to miss the boat as well. And, and again, that, that just reiterates what we were repeating ad nauseum at the beginning, that is that this is the crowning truth. Uh, so the, the whole apparition thing, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, actually, but was just a, an apparition of, of some sort, then why would the apostles insist that no, he did? <laughs> right, right. We, when, and in some of the gospel accounts where they touched him, he, sa- he said, I think it was today's reading on Wednesday, you know, put your hand, you know, I'm not a ghost. Give me some fish I'll eat so, to, to show that it's not just some mystical apparition, but a real physical existence. New, but nonetheless, actually physical. Really real. Really real. Yeah. So, um... And, and I think, Father, some, you mentioned something. You mentioned Mark Shea. I'd also met the, uh, the, the book, um, Handbook of Christian Apologetics. There's another edition, the Handbook of Catholic Apologetics by Peter Kraft and Father Ronald Tesselli. Um, it covers a number of things, but they focus in particular uh, several pages on some of these points about the truth of, and signif- of, of the resurrection. So we can um, certainly look to those uh, as, as for further reading. Um, in this last minute and a half or so, Father, what else do you think is worth noting about the resurrection? Oh, golly gee. Um, just that it's, uh, it's actually a, a very, uh, what's well, totally different from any after-death teachings of any religions or cultures around at the time, and even a little different from the Jewish notions, but yet coherent with the Jewish notions of creation, the creator, the value of this world. Uh, and uh, uh, what God's trying to do. Yeah, that, so we, we've... Uh, and this is something completely new. I think today, because we've been living with this idea culturally of the resurrection for, for 2000, nearly 2,000 years, we have this idea that... Um, uh, well, it was a common... You hear a lot of the new atheists saying with an, it, they just took over pagan ideas, but nobody believed this sort of thing before. Right, right, yeah, it's, it's something completely new. I, I would really encourage people uh, also to look at the catechism. Um, the, we, we referred to 638, and I mentioned the, the, uh, a couple of the central ideas. It's only a few pages long, like um, about six pages, where the catechism gets into this, and it, it's, it's really a good, a good discussion um, of, of the, 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 the reality and the importance of the resurrection. It affirms Jesus' divinity, affirms all of his teaching. Again, it's sort of the capstone as we've been saying. Um, but we're out of time, so you, you, dear listener, you'll need to uh, do some maybe reading on your own, or if you have follow-up questions, let us know. Uh, as always, don't hesitate to email me with any follow-up questions. Let us know uh, if you have any comments or ideas for future episodes. The email address I didn't mention at the beginning today, but it's cbergwald.sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at sfcatholic.org. 
And have a happy Easter, and may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.